Hello and welcome back to another episode. Today is going to be our third episode in our mini series on on saving for college and financial aid. And we have on Jack Wang, who's a wealth advisor and innovative advisory group in the Smart College Buyer Program. Jack's also going to be joining us in our tax minimization program. We kind of deep dive further into this topic. If you haven't checked out our tax minimization program, do so now. It's taxsavingspodcast.com forward slash tax. Today's topic is what strategies are available to increase college financial aid. Now, if you missed our first two episodes in our mini series, with the first one was what options are available for college savings, and the second one was what are the basics around financial aid for college, definitely check those out because those just kind of build on what we're going to be talking about today. But again, today's topic is what strategies are available to increase college financial aid. And Jack, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me on again, Mike. I, I'm having so much fun with this. I really appreciate it. Yeah, the, la- the last two weeks, we've just had a blast kind of going through these different items on college savings. I myself have been learning a lot, and I know feedback that we've had from the listeners has been great as well. So let's kind of dive into this one. I think this is going to be potentially the most fun as we're, as we're talking about you know, how what are some strategies? What are some things that we can do out there to increase college financial aid to make sure or at least try our best to ensure we're getting the best and, and most college financial aid as possible? Yeah, what a what a great question. And 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 to really answer this question, you have to understand again where aid comes from. We talked about that last week and understand the rules. And so what for most families, the way that most families approach this is they don't think about financial aid till the end of the process. Right. So again, they think about what magic number or what magic thing can they put on the financial aid form to get them a, a bunch of aid. It just doesn't work that way. There's so many analogies here I could potentially use, but let's talk about sort of how most families approach the college process in general, right? And I like to use this analogy. So imagine, if you will, that your son or daughter gets their driver's license, right? They're you know, 16, you know, 15, 16, 17 years old, depending on whatever state. And you say, okay, son, daughter, I'll, you know, now that you have a license, I'll buy you a car, right? So go out, kid, go out. And find the the right car for you, right? So the, so you send your kid out roaming the countryside, and while you might have a used Chevy or a nice used Toyota or something in mind, something cheap and reliable and whatever, right? Inevitably, what always happens is they end up at like the the Lamborghini or Ferrari dealership or something, because then they'll tell you, you know, it's hey dad, it's an awesome car, and all the kids are getting one. And, you know, and it'll make me look good and how fast it goes and this and the other. And next thing you know, you're now stuck with trying to pay for a Ferrari or a Lamborghini. But you also think about that. It's also basic supply and demand, right? Why are Ferraris and Lamborghinis and whatever so expensive? Yes, there's a certain cachet, you know, uh, you know, brand value and stuff. And I'm not disputing whether they're good cars or not, right? That's not the point. But there's also very few of them, right? So there just are not a lot of Lamborghinis rolling around on the streets. And so it's very hard to get one because they just simply don't make a lot. So the basic supply and demand is you have huge demand, relatively speaking, for a very limited supply. Keeps the price high. Well, in a lot of ways, that's exactly how college works, 
right? They, the parents tell their son or daughter, go out, roam the countryside to figure out, you know, what school is best for you. In the absence of knowing what best even means, they go with the names that are most recognizable, which tend to be the Ivy Leagues, the upper tiers, uh, the flagship state schools, which is, you know, the, the flagship university, maybe in your own state. Well, what happens is everybody ends up, you know, ends up applying there. So there's huge demand for relatively few seats. So it's the it's an 80-20 principle or 80-20 rule. And, and data backs this up that roughly 80, plus, 80 to 90% of all high school applicants go to the top 20% of schools, right? Top 800 to 100, uh, 80 to 100 schools. It's insane. And so the pandemic has exacerbated this trend even more, right? We thought that, you know, people losing their jobs, you know, nobody's going to be sending their kid, kid to college. But in reality, Everybody and their dog tried to pile into Harvard or MIT or Stanford or Northwestern or whatever. So it made it even harder to get in. So if you think about if you're the seller, right, if you're the college and you got this line of students going out the door, down the street, around the block, and then some of just trying to get in, you don't have to give a lot of aid because, quite frankly, you don't have to, right? You, you get to pick sort of the best of the best of the best or whatever criteria you want to use. But then if you think about the other 80% of colleges in the United States, and there's about 4,000 colleges in the United States, well, they're left over, they're left fighting for the other 20%. They're not bad schools. They're great schools in their own right, but they might not be as well known or the regional privates or the regional campuses of public universities but here, simple supply and demand. There's a lot more demand. The supply is what it is. Now the buyer, the families, have a lot more negotiating power, pricing power. So this is where you tend to get the biggest and best scholarship offers and whatever. And then on top of that, we also have to think about is, um, is because the schools have huge demand, they get to pick the best of the best if you will, how, again, however they define it. Even at these other schools, what you're looking for is you want to be the top student in the applicant pool, right? So you can use NFL draft players. You can use Olympic medalists, right? Tons of kids, tons of uh, athletes are draft eligible, but only the top athletes, the ones that go in the first round, get the biggest dollars, Right. Uh, if you think about thousands of athletes trying to make the Olympics, some do, but only three get medals in any given event. Right. Gold, gold, silver and bronze. Right. So if you think about those analogies, tons of kids apply to colleges. Some get in, but only a few get scholarships. Well. The ones that get scholarships, their criteria is very different at every school. So. As a general rule of thumb, you know, the amount of aid and how to maximize aid goes all the way back to even what schools you look at. Most families don't think about it till the end. But in reality, your chance of success is determined at the beginning, right? So if you insist mm. on going where everybody else is applying to, everybody else and their dog is applying to, then your chances of getting aid of any sort are extraordinarily low. But if you go somewhere else, 
then your chances might be really high. And so I'd like to tell this story. There's over 30,000 high schools in the United States, which means every single year there are over 30,000 valedictorians. Okay, that's a great result, right? That's you know good for those kids, right? They worked hard, they got there. But if you're a, if your son or daughter is a valedictorian and they apply to a college where all of the other 30,000 valedictorians applied, and quite frankly, what that means is your kid is average. I know parents don't like to hear that, but it's actually true. So at the school, if all 30,000 valedictorians apply and you're just one of the 30,000, then again, they really have no reason to pick you, right? But if you're the only valedictorian in the applicant pool to another college, then you're going to get huge dollars because you stand out, right? So all this time that's focused on, well, should I move money here? Should I move money there? Was the financial aid form says, yes, it's important, but it goes back to the search and where you're even looking to begin with. Makes sense. So when we're looking at, you know, depending on it, and we talked about this with uh, the type of aid that you're getting, you know, every school has their own type of internal grants and things that they're doing at the school level. There is some federal help and things like that. But when we're looking at being best equipped to kind of increase that financial aid, whether we're looking at a top 100 school or a not top 100 school, what are some things that, that families should be looking at? Or what are some ways that that you would say, if, if someone comes and sits down with you, you know, here's some direction, or some ideas of things that you can do to ensure that you're you know, increasing that college financial aid? Yeah, the the it's all in the search and the research up front. And, and you have to remember that colleges, now there are certainly for-profit colleges in the United States, and they just get a really bad rep, you know, in the news, and then some of it deservedly so. But you know, almost, you know, almost all colleges in the United States are nonprofit, but that doesn't mean that they're not still businesses in their own right, right? So like any business, they want a certain type of customer or they're looking for certain things. And so oftentimes parents think that, oh, well, it's all about grades, right? Oh, you know, my kid needs really good grades or really good test scores to get in. But that's really not true. And, and schools look for different things. And I will tell you, right, I'll, I'll run down a list. But but 99, you know, the majority of parents don't think about it in this way because what they think about going through the search is they try to answer the question of where can my kid get in? And really, the the question that they really should be asking, if money matters, is where can my kid get the most aid, right? It's two totally different questions with totally mm-hmm. different answers. So colleges um, will look at other things depending on their needs. So, for example, a college might be expanding a particular major or launching a brand new major. So all other things being equal, um, if your son or daughter is willing to go to that college to to go for that major, then your kid might get more money, even if you're a billionaire family, even if your kid doesn't have great grades. But because they're trying to build that major, that college might give your kid more money, right? There's examples of this all over the place. Um, it could be gender, a gender balance. Nowadays, more women go to college than men. Of course, it wasn't that way 
long time ago. <clears throat> and in certain majors, you can imagine it, the gender balance is more extreme one way versus the other. So historically, right, it used to be like if you're a girl going into engineering, that was uncommon. So all again, all of things being equal, a girl would get more money than as an engineering major than the than a boy with the same grades. But the opposite's also true, right? If you go into like, let's say, education or nursing or some of the healthcare fields as a boy, that tends to be a little bit more female dominated. Um right? You, you can get more aid that way. And there are colleges that I know one college in particular is actively looking to increase the male uh, applicants in certain female-dominated majors, okay? These things happen. So it could be majors. It could be geography. So, um, um, you know, going in, you know, people say like, well, going in state's always cheaper than out of state. That's that's actually not that true, Um some schools around the country, you know, love out-of-state students for aid, right? Every school will accept out-of-state students, you know, regardless of aid, right? But, and, and generally speaking, schools like out-of-state students, public schools like out-of-state students because out-of-state students make more. But some schools are really generous with aid for out-of-state students and others are not. Um, it could be... Other factors, it could be, uh, let's say, there's major, there's out-of-state, there's gender. It could be a combination of all of those things um, or any other factor that the school might be trying to meet. So if you think about the questions that most parents ask when they go through this process, hey, what does my kid need to get in? What does my kid need for a GPA or test score? Or how do you treat extracurriculars or letters of recommendation? Those are important questions. But the questions that are never asked, what do you need to get a scholarship? Are you act, Are you trying to you know, really recruit for this major? Are you looking for more boys or girls for this major? You know, what are your aid policies towards out-of-state students? Those questions are never asked, but yet can be easily, in, in, in some cases, easily researched. So again, mm -hmm. it goes back to the you know, the amount of aid that you get, whether you're a billionaire family or a low-income family, has almost nothing to do with what you actually show for income and assets. It's actually more about meeting what the college is looking for, right? So as an example, um, Georgia Tech, great engineering school, but there's no shortage of engineer of kids who want to go into engineering applying to Georgia Tech. Right. They, they get more than enough engineering kids because that's what they're known for. But at a school that isn't known for engineering, but still has a great program, if you decide to go there, let's say at a small liberal arts school, you might get a truckload of money if you're willing to be an engineering major at a liberal arts college. You still learn. Right. You can still get a job. but You just pay a lot less for it. So. Colleges are always looking at these things, but parents are not asking, which is why you get people saying that college is expensive and how come my kid didn't get any aid and now, oh my goodness, you got to borrow this money to pay for it, right? It, yeah. It's that domino effect on and on and on. And that's so interesting. I think that there, you know, there, there's so much that goes into the planning with that most people don't think about that financial aid piece. They just think, okay, where does where do my child want to go? Here's the six colleges that 
that they really like for whatever reason. They might like their football team or their baseball team. Um, and, and that's where they're going. But the, the the big thing is, is that people don't think about also working this into your planning. And so I, I think that's has been a real big eye opener. And I think a lot of our listeners will find that. But right. just to kind of go on this question, and, and this is going off off a little bit of the track, but let's say we're, we're my child is saying, okay, I want to be an engineer. I want to go to Georgia Tech. And, and, and we meet with Jack and Jack, you're saying uh, there might be better options out there for financial aid. But the child says, nope, Georgia Tech is the only option for my schooling. What do you do in that situation? You, it, that's a, Obviously, they picked the school that they want to go to. It might not be the best option for financial aid, but is there still things that can be done to try to increase whatever small amount of financial aid might be available at that school? Or is that more of just a, a separate plan? Okay, now we we understand that grants and some of those things might be out of the picture. So let's kind of look into the the planning around the loans in, in that route. Yep. So there are so there are a couple of things that can be done. Uh, to still try and lower the cost of college. So um, the reality is that most, not all, right? You got to think about that supply and demand thing again, but most colleges are willing to negotiate. And so um, I, I won't pick on Georgia Tech specifically, but if your son or daughter says, you know, hey, hey, dad, I want to go to, or I think I want to go to this school, right? Whatever school that is then one of the strategies that I actually look at for clients is, okay, what are some of the comparable colleges that your student can apply to for the sole purpose of generating an award or scholarship offer that we can then use to negotiate against your target school, right? But it, but it can't just be any school. So, you know, you can't walk into the Lamborghini dealership and say, hey, you know, you should give me a discount because I can go buy that used Toyota Camry down the street for a lot less money. Right. <laughs> they're not going to care because they're because the Lamborghini is going to say, well, they're, you know, they're, they're different cars. <laughs> College is the same way. So. So if you use the strategy to try and get competitive offers, it has to be what the school that you're looking at, right, that you're most interested, who they view as competitors, not necessarily who you view as competitors, right? So again, you know, you can you got to compare Lamborghini to other similar type cars. You can't you can't say that, well, I'm happy with either a Lamborghini or a Chevy, right? Because yeah. they'll, they'll laugh you out of there. So there are strategies. So that again, but that goes back to that search process. And there are more things you can do there. But let's suppose you've done that and you've exhausted all the options. Now it becomes a, a paying an appeal or paying strategy. So if there are legitimate circumstances where uh, your finances have changed or your finances uh, as filled out in the financial aid form don't actually reflect what your finances today, you can always make an appeal. You can always just ask, right? I like to call that the just because ask. Hey, can I please have more money just because? Yeah, you're you're allowed to ask. Of course, they're allowed to say no, but you are allowed to ask. And again, there's a strategy for that. If after all of that, then at the same time, you know, you want to exhaust, exhaust all those options, but at the same time, you want to look at paying strategies. So now this is the planning on, 
what's the best way to actually pay the bill? What accounts should you use? What order should you use them? What tax strategies might come into play here and when, right? So your son or daughter wants to go to Georgia Tech. They, you know, we've asked, we've exhausted all the options, but, you know, you know, it's just going to cost X dollars per year. Okay, all along, we, sh- we sh- should have been having a conversation like, okay, if we assume it's going to cost X dollars per year, do, do we borrow? Do we not borrow? Do we do we intentionally borrow so something else can happen? Uh, so, for example, in the first uh, podcast of the series, you had mentioned about uh, having your business hire your kid because then your kid can have earned income to contribute to a Roth IRA, which I mm-hmm. think is a phenomenal strategy. Um, and, and one of the best ways I feel like to save and pay for college is to have your own business. But even within that, there are questions. So, for example, you've hired your kid all along. They've saved in a Roth IRA all along. But maybe it actually makes sense to intentionally pay for college and then use the money, pull out the principal of the Roth IRA to uh, to, to pay for college. That's one way to do it. And you can, and you know, earnings, uh, I'm sorry, and uh, higher education expenses would be a qualified expense. You can pull out some of the earnings too. That's one way. Or another way could be is you intentionally borrow for college. You let that Roth IRA hope, hopefully grow more. And then you pull out the principal and just pay off the loans. And you just leave mm-hmm. the earnings in there, right? That's another way to do it. Another variation is, borrow for college, but instead of paying the loans off all at once, only pull out enough to make the payments. Now, why Now, why would you do that? You're going to end up paying loan interest, right? Well, yeah, that's true, but because you're not taking out a giant chunk of money all in one shot, and you, instead you're only taking out a little bit at a time, that allows the rest of your money in that Roth IRA to hopefully continue to grow. Right. Mm-hmm. So you get the benefit of a little bit more compound interest. So there are all of these variations and taxes do come into play here um, uh, to try and help help pay for college. Because because realistically, in my personal philosophy is you always use you always want to use other people's money first. Right. Whether that's aid from the college or tax tax savings from Uncle Sam to get that what I like to call a tax scholarship no essay required. But generally speaking, you know, in my world, you want to use other people's money first, your money last. So I'm going to use any of all these strategies again to use other people's money first. Yeah, no, that's that's excellent. And I really do think that th- this is eye-opening. So I just want to say, you know, if you're a listener out there, you have uh, children that are, are getting ready to go to college or starting to kind of get into that realm, they might be just getting starting high school, whatever it might be, Definitely start to think about this area. Set up a meeting with Jack. Set up a meeting to start talking about this this planning for for college because it might not be just hey where does our child want to go. Let's let's look into different planning and I think it's important to have this type of conversation along with where does the child want to go because you know they can come these planning can be done together and and can help make some of those tougher decisions a lot easier if there's some you know if, if we're weighing two different options. You know, having a conversation like this with a planner like Jack can really help make this options going to be a lot better than this one simply from a financial aspect. So 
this has been really eye-opening, uh, this whole series that we've done. You know, we started out with what options are available for college savings. We talked about the basics around financial aid, and then obviously finished up here with, with kind of strategies available to increase college financial aid. So if you haven't checked out our previous episodes, do so now. Check those out. We also have in the show notes a blog post that Jack has written for us that kind of goes on to this a little bit more detailed. Check those out. We also have blog posts for all the other ones. And if you'd like to have a connection with Jack, there will be a form within the blog post where you can just fill it out. We'll get you introduced to Jack to have, kind of start those conversations. But uh, And then one final thing is Jack is going to be joining us on our tax minimization program taking kind of what we've talked about here, diving even deeper into it about the strategies available and everything else out there. So Jack has just been an incredible resource for us. This has been a a very fun series to go through. So Jack, again, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for coming on and, and just sharing this wisdom around college savings and financial aid that I think so many parents and so many students have no clue about, about any of this and, and even the possibilities out there. My, myself, having gone into college, also, you know, a lot of the stuff I've learned here from you has been brand new to me. And so I just think this is a invaluable mini series that we've done here for our listeners. So Jack, again, thank you for, for taking the time with us. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, you know, I'll just say as a closing thought, um, you know, tax laws are really complicated, right? And so, you can either play to the limit of the rules to pay the least amount of taxes or you or you don't and you end up potentially paying more in taxes than you need to. And, and financial aid and aid strategies, all the things we were talking about for the last couple of weeks, it, it's really the same thing, right? So you can play to the limit of the rules and save yourself tens of thousands of dollars off of college costs or or not and just become another student debt statistic i guess but 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 it but can, but my point here simply is um what mindful planning and starting early meaning not senior year of your kid's high school career um you can play to limit the rules and get and do a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about yeah, no, that's super helpful. So thanks again, Jack. Again, if you haven't checked out our previous episodes, check them out. Uh, we did three total in this kind of mini series. Also check our blog posts and our tax organization program. We can dive deeper into what Jack has discussed with us. So thanks again, everyone, for listening to another episode. And this is a wrap on our mini series for college and financial aid.